What's going on, yo? Welcome back to Conspiracy Fears and Mysteries. And today is, I don't know what today is, actually. I'm recording this probably on the same day that I recorded another episode, so it doesn't even matter. Whenever I upload it, that's what the day is for you. And when you're listening to this, hello on that day. Whatever. But anyway, today I wanted to talk about, since we're still in the quarantine, and I just... I just got up and said, you know what? I feel like talking about mysterious mysterious disappearances because those always intrigue me. Mysterious disappearances, whether it be mass disappearances. I think those are one of the craziest ones, the mass disappearances or individual where individual people, um, you know, disappear. And when under mysterious circumstance, whatever it may be, whether it be a murder or something else. So, I have here a couple of mysterious disappearances. Some I've known about, some I didn't know about. Because there's always, there's, I mean, I think there's millions of them. I, I, to be honest with you, since the beginning of time, if whatever we've discovered or through history, there's been hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them. So, let's look at these uh, mysterious disappearances that I've actually got this from Live Science here. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the screen. Life science, um, unsolved deaths and disappearances, and these are ten mysterious deaths and disappearances that still puzzle historians. Uh, don't believe any of these have been solved. I skimmed through them, didn't read them, but we're going to read these ten disappearances. And of course, like always, when I read, I give my opinion on it. And you can call into the podcast, leave a message, and I will put it on the episode. On Anchor FM, of course, or if you listen to it on um, uh, whatever you listen to your podcast, so because I'm like I'm on like ten different uh, platforms, including the big two I call the big two iTunes and um, Google Podcasts. So there's a link there where you can press it, and it will take you to the Anchor FM app where I upload. And there you can leave a um, com- or a voice message. And I can put that message on. I think it's like a two-minute message. I remember some people leave one minute, two minutes. And I will put it on as, as long as it's respectful. And, you know, it's not like. And you can have your opinion. But as long as you're not going crazy on it, I'm going to put it on there. Um, you can leave your comments. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you know, the normal YouTube comment things. So let's start from the beginning. Well, not from the beginning, from the first one here. No particular order, but the Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste is an um, the uh, American merchant ship that was found drifting at sea on December 5th, 1872, 400 miles um, east of Portugal's Azores Island in the eastern Atlantic. This ship was under partial sail when it was intercepted by a Canadian vessel that was carrying a full cargo um, and... and it was carrying a full cargo of cask of industrial alcohol as well as enough food and water for a couple of months. But one of the lifeboats on the merchant ship was missing and there was no sign of the crew. Although their belongings were all still in their bunks, the whole crew. The Mary Celeste had sailed from New York almost a month before it was found, bound for Genoa in Italy or Genoa, whatever. With 10 people aboard, 7 crew members, the ship's captain, his wife, and his 2-year-old daughter. I would not have taken my wife and daughter on that voyage. I would have waited till planes were invented. 
Um, but no sign of them was ever found. I just have a thing with water. So uh, in this case, there was a lifeboat missing. So maybe, you know, they could have been, they could have seen something for, oh, you know, maybe some pirates or whatever. I don't know. Um, with their, with their, uh, you know, their, their telescopes or whatever, their little scopes that they had. You could have seen pirates. They could have been abducted by pirates. And that's the logical explanation. They could have all died from a disease, which would be even more logical since all of their stuff was there. Uh, even though there was one lifeboat missing, one of them could have killed all of them. Two, three of them could have killed the rest of them uh, for whatever reason and left the cargo and everything. For whatever reason, there was, they killed them. Maybe there was a hit out on the captain or whatever. Um, nobody really knows. There was no internet, no radio, no phones to say what had, what had happened. Um, and they could have taken that lifeboat to another boat that met them. Because there was a hit out on the captain. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to be logical. Because I do watch a lot of true crime and TV. And TV, So I'm just trying to put logic first. Or regular logic to the people who are not privy to the other stuff that I'm into. So, or that I believe. You know, that could that could be one of the things that happened. They just got murdered. They got into a situation. Or they got sick. All of them got some kind of sickness and just died. That would be also very logical. Because... Um, you know, meaning, oh, they, they got sick, one or two of them or whatever number of them that may have not been sick, freaked out, got on a lifeboat and said, I'm leaving the ship. These people are, are sick and I don't want to catch it. So he took the lifeboat, ended up dying or maybe got rescued somewhere else. And we don't know. But if he would have got rescued somewhere else, it would have been new because he would have said, look, they got sick on that boat and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Or. Mass disappearance, all their stuff is still there. Took about 10 people that are gone. UF of O's. UF of O's. Could be, I mean, if you think about it, let's put logic to the UFO theory that they come in and they take people. If you were a UFO, if you were from another planet, just like we do um, when we go and we try to get animals or we get animals for testing and things like that. Nobody is going to go to catch a, you know, a tiger or even something smaller in the middle of a giant herd of them. You know what I mean? That's not what we do. If anything, we'll, we'll uh, shoot a gun so they all like run away and disperse and whoever's left behind whoever the lonely one is that's who we get hell that's how lions hunt whoever the slowest one is who gets left behind is the one that gets um that gets taken they're not gonna go in the middle of the herd to grab because they're gonna get trampled and seen and all that stuff is gonna be harder they've done it a couple times but it hasn't been good for them you know what i mean same thing with aliens. You're not going to go to the middle of New York City. And I always say that to go if you want to get a human sample or whatever or to test or what for whatever reason you're taking them. You're not going to the middle of Los Angeles, to the middle of the city to go and land your ship or beam somebody up on or whatever it is that they take them. Not going to do that. You're going to go somewhere where there's a farm, where there's only like a few people. Um, if you're traveling through... Um, I take it if you're traveling through space, you've got some kind of intelligence. If you're able to have a ship that travels through 
space or travels at that speed or whatever, you got some kind of intelligence, maybe common sense to know. They're like, uh, they've probably been watching us if that's what it is. Well, the less, um, the less uh, uh, witnesses, the less credible it is. Which is why you always see when there's an abduction, or you hear when there's, and you, or you read when there's an abduction. It's always usually done. Uh, oh, these two people were driving up this road, this lonely road, or oh, these it was uh, five people, or it was this. Because now you're you're um, you're going against five, six, seven, or even ten witnesses, right? When you go against five, six, seven, ten witnesses, that's nothing. You can still dismiss that as all oh, they were all together on this or they're all crazy it's easier to say they're crazy and whatever and dismiss that than to believe it you know what i mean because it's only 10 witnesses now you go to the middle of new york city and you have a whole state or a whole city saying yeah we saw something in the middle you got a couple hundred thousand people saying hey or even ten thousand people saying hey look man <laughs> this thing landed in the middle of times square you know what I mean? Now that's kind of hard to dismiss. You got all kinds of people there, doctors, lawyers, people who don't know each other, you know? And um, it's happened before where we've had witnesses from different places. But the thing is that the witnesses are so dispersed that the the length of the dispersion, you know, the, the area where the, you got one, like with the Phoenix Lights, they were dispersed here, dispersed there. You know, they were, it's such a big area that it's like, Ah, uh, maybe they all got together, or uh, that's what um, debunkers would say. It's you know, it's a double-edged sword. <coughs> oh, it's not good to cough right now. You know, uh, let me see. Oh, there's still more. Uh the cool. Here's a here's there's more. In 1884, a few years before the first Sherlock Holmes mysteries appeared in print. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle published a fictional first-person account by a survivor of a ship called the Mary Celeste. In Doyle's story, the crew was murdered by a vengeful serial killer among the crewmen. The story became more famous than the original case and was even presented as a true account in some newspapers, including, to the, Boston, uh, including the Boston Herald, according to a report in 1913, reporter edition of the Strand magazine. So... <sighs> In 2007, documentary filmmaker Anne McGregor suggests the ship may have been abandoned after it took on water in bad weather and the captain saw an opportunity to make for land in a lifeboat. But the occupants of the lifeboat appeared to have been lost at sea while the abandoned Mary Celeste was able to ride out the storm. That's crazy. So, Mary Celeste, still unsolved, as far as I know. Next one, Mallory and Irvine, or Irving, on Everest. I've never heard of this one. So let's see what this is. On June 4th, 1924, British mountaineers George Mallory and Andrew Irvine set out from an advanced base camp high in the north north uh, Colorado north call of Mount Everest. Where is Mount Everest? I don't know where Mount Everest. I don't even know where Mount, where Mount Everest is. In an attempt to become the first people to reach the summit of the world's highest mountain. They were sighted four days later by another member of their expedition, climbing on the mountain's northeast ridge, about 400 vertical feet below the summit. <laughs> I'm just not doing that. I'm sorry. Anyway, where did I leave off? Uh, but then clouds closed over the ridge, and the two men were never seen again. 
Historians and mountaineers have long speculated that Mallory and Irvine may have survived the climb to the summit of Mount Everest at an altitude of 29,029 feet, but then died during their descent from the mountain, probably on June 9, 1924. In 1933, Irvine's ice axe was found high on the mountain, confirming the mountaineers had reached an altitude of 28,000 feet. That's still very, very high. Jesus, that is ex- that is high. That is extremely high. In 1999, an expedition found Mallory's remains on Everest's north face at an altitude of nearly 27,000 feet. Some climbers have claimed to have seen another body in the area, possibly that of Irvine. But while the finds are intriguing, the question of whether Mallory or Irvine reached the summit before they died remains a subject of debate. So the mystery in this one is not that they they disappeared or, or how they died. We know how they died. When you're climbing, <laughs> when, you're, when you're doing anything in 1924, you're most likely going to die. I don't know why. That's what I feel like when you take away all the technology we have. Anything you do in 1924, most likely you're going to die or earlier around that time um but anyway no it's a joke um but when you do something like that in 1924 and then you would uh, i don't know so the 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 mystery here is if if they reached the summit i mean goddamn, they it's i don't know that's not even that's not even i don't see how that's a mystery i think the i think It'll be better to, I mean, they went to freaking high enough. Shoot. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Peace out to them. The last flight of Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. I would really like to know what happened. I want to, like, this one, okay. Anyway. When American aviator Amelia Earhart set out to become the first woman to fly around the world, she was already one of the most famous women in the world. Five years earlier, in May 1932, she had made a name for herself as the first woman to fly solo, nonstop across the Atlantic. Oh, there you go, girl power. And then 1935, Earhart made the first solo flight from Honolulu, Hawaii to Oakland, California. As such, the world was watching in July 1937 when the plane carrying Earhart and her navigator Fred Noonan on their round-the-world attempt, went missing over the Pacific Ocean. They try to go... They try to go around. Oh, boy. This is where I'm going to get into some other stuff that you're not going to want to hear. You're not going to want to hear. But you gotta, I got to tr- thread lightly with... I got to tread whatever the word is. Go like this if you watch it on YouTube. Lightly. Because uh, if I talk about anything flat in Earth, people get offended, very offended for some reason. Especially the people who are diehard ball fans. But anyway, Earhart and Noonan took off on July 2nd from Ley in Papua New Guinea, bound for Holland Island. Their next refueling stop around 2,550 miles away across the ocean as they approached what they thought was Holland Island. Earhart was able to make radio contact with a U.S. Coast Guard ship stationed to guide them in, but Earhart slash radio messages indicated she was unable to locate either the ship or the island. Was she supposed to land on a ship? As they, wait, as they approached the island, Earhart was able to make radio contact with the U.S. Coast Guard ship stationed to guide them in. Okay. The U.S. Coast Guard ship began a search immediately, joined by U.S. Navy ships in the days that followed. 
No remains of the aircraft were found in the official search effort at the time. The largest and most expensive in U.S. history was called off after two weeks. Still, historical researchers have never given up on trying to find Earhart. Among recent efforts to find out what just happened to America's pioneering aviator, researchers equipped with underwater robots have been exploring the waters around Nikimoro Atoll, an island off the Kiribati region, for clues that they hope may lead them to the wreckage of her aircraft. So, the reason I talk about... <laughs> Oh, let me not even well she disappeared i'll leave that for another episode um what may have happened with her you know flight could be that she just you know just crashed off the island there's been planes that you know crash and it's hard to find it's i mean the ocean is so vast and large you're talking about finding not even a needle in 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 the, in the haystack if you cut off the tip of the needle bam and you throw that in like the biggest river. <laughs> That's what you're looking for. Or the, the, the biggest lake. You know. Uh, in the United States. That's what you're looking for. You know what I mean. So. Uh, it could be. I mean it could be hard. Hard. hard, Just hard to find. You know. The, the, the ship goes down. I mean her plane goes down in the ocean. And it. It's, pr- it's probably going to sink. I don't, I don't think anything's going to. It's going to float for that long. You know what I mean? Um, kudos to her for doing what she did. Uh, without her, there probably would be a lot of things that couldn't have been done. But, um, you know, things happen when you when you put yourself at risk. It's a risk that she was willing to take, and she took it. But, I don't know. The conspiracy side of me says she may have flown somewhere where she couldn't land. Too much ice. You flat earthers that are listening to probably know what I'm talking about. Because you try to fly straight across. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if they look elsewhere, they may find something that they're going to find on ice. But anyway, the last flight of Amelia Earhart. Like, and like I said, anything in 1932, I feel like anything 1932, 1940, 1920, whatever, anything pre, I don't know, like 2000s. It was dangerous. <laughs> oh, but anyway, let's keep going. Um, the Baroness, and I'm joking. The Baroness of the Galapagos. This one, this is, this is weird. I, this is another one I ain't heard of. Um, I read like the little caption of it, but I don't know. Eloise Verbon, Eloise Verbon, the Wagner Bosquet. Known as the Baroness of the Galapagos, was a young Austrian woman who disappeared in 1935 in the remote island of Floriana in the Galapagos, Galapagos archipelago in the eastern Pacific Ocean. Floriana had become famous in Germany after it was colonized in 1929 by a German couple, Frederick Ritter and Dor Strausch who act out a primitive living in a house made from rocks and driftwood. Their celebrity attracted other German families in Floriana, seeking what they saw as a utopian lifestyle. In 1933, the Baroness arrived along with her two young German lovers, Robert Philipson and Rudolf Lorenz, and an Ecuadorian servant. Ooh, let me not tell that to my wife. She'll be, she's from Ecuador. She's Ecuadorian. She's not my servant. I'm probably more like hers. 
After setting up house on the island, she announced plans to build a luxury hotel and in the meantime build a reputation for, bland, for flamboyant living among the simple colonists of Floriana. On March 27, 1934, the Baroness and her lover Philipson disappeared. Another German colonist claimed that they had embarked on a passing yacht bound for Tahiti, but there was no records of such a yacht visiting the, Galag the Galapagos at that time. A few days later, the Baroness... Baronesses of the lovers, Rudolf Lawrence, hurriedly left Floriana in a boat with a Norwegian fisherman bound for the South American mainland. Their, their mummified bodies were found months later, stranded on a waterless island where their boat had foundered. Research speculated that Lawrence killed the Baroness and Philipson and that other colonists helped him cover up the murders, but the disappearance of the Baroness of the, of the Galapagos have never been solved. Well, I'm going to give you the probably what I see is the best theory here. You're talking about the first of all, um, let's go back. You're saying that these people before she even got there, these people went there and uh, they colonized this area, but they lived primitively, 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 right? Uh, you people that uh, Frederick Ritter and Doris Strouch uh, lived with rocks from a house, a house made with rocks and driftwood meaning they didn't bring they really didn't build anything modern there the, Gal the galapagos island is probably one of the last places that really hasn't been touched to an extent uh by man or you know there's still anything's natural there the animals are natural uh every nature still how it was thousands of years ago or even millions or whatever i don't know but so you know, these people went there to seek a utopian living, meaning, like I just said, living off the land, really living off the land, just living, right? No uh, tech or nothing. And you're talking about this lady and these people coming over there and trying to build a hotel, a luxury hotel. Even to this day, my wife says, because she lives there, not, well, she's from there, not from Galapagos, but from Ecuador, which is right off of Ecuador, the Galapagos, um... When they go there, well, when they they visit there, it's only a certain place you can go, and they don't want anybody touching it. They're real, you know, real sketchy about it. People going there, you can't throw garbage out there. Nothing, you can't touch anything over there. So, you're talking about people that wanted to build a hotel that I could see where, you know, and when there's money involved and there's people, like, hey man, you're not building anything over here. You know, arguments happen. I could see it. She's figured I'm rich. I can do whatever I want. Bam, you got murked simple you know what i mean i'm not saying that's what happened i did not just solve the crime i'm just saying from just this little bit that i read that's what i that's what i can i can uh i can dissect or i can get from this next one the south pole poisoning so <laughs> this one's weird this is oh the south pole i you don't hear too much about south pole a lot of secrecy down there on may 12 2000 near the middle of the dark antarctic winter in austrian australian Astrophysicist named Rodney Marks died from a sudden mysterious illness at the Amundsen Scott Station, the American scientific research base located at the geographic South Pole. Because winter flights of the South Pole are dangerous, his body was kept frozen until the spring when it was flown back to New Zealand. An autopsy revealed that he had died of methanol poisoning, probably by swallowing methanol without knowing. After an investigation, which included trying to interview up to 49 people who had overwintered at at Moodson Scott Station with Marks, the New Zealand police ruled out suicide and thought it unlikely that Marks had accidentally poisoned himself. 
In 2008, a New Zealand coroner ruled that there was no evidence to suggest foul play, but the events surrounding Rodney Mark's poisoning have never been determined. And the case has gained a reputation in some news media as the first murder at the South Pole. So, I mean, this could go either way. Uh, if you take your conspiracy hat off and you just look at it at at face value, just look at it at, you know, um, you know, you just like put it together the way just just if you just look at it then you're probably just seeing you know this guy he just uh he killed he basically he just died he just he just accidentally you know he's he's over there he's an what is he, astrophysicist astrophysicist so he's a scientist but he does astrology and um you know he was just there to do his astro astrology and astrophysics and there's different chemicals there because they do experiments or whatever. And where I work, there's, there we have methanol kinds of chemicals. And uh, so he just, he probably could have just got poisoned. He probably just po accidentally poisoned himself. Maybe, maybe some of it fell on something. He was working on something while he was eating. Some of it fell on there. Whatever, he died, and that's that's what happened. But, um, you know, I mean... That that's that could be what happened, but if you put <laughs> your conspiracy hat on, it says you know I would say this guy astrophysicist, okay, meaning he's studying astrology, some with space, whatever. We're talking about the, the South Pole here. Maybe he discovers something. Maybe the people didn't trust that he wouldn't say anything, so they went ahead and poisoned him. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying that happened. I did not solve this murder. Anyway, next one. The disappearance of D.B. Cooper. Now, this one, I've known this one for a long time, uh, since I was a kid. I, I used to have a, my grandfather had a movie called Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. I think this was made in the 70s, this movie. Um, it was, yes, yeah, sometime in the 70s, or early, early, really early 80s. Um, and I found it when I was living there. And I used to watch this movie over and over. He had a tape, a VHS. And I used to watch it over and over. I watched it so many times, it's not even funny. So, D.B. Cooper is uh, the popular pseudonym of an unidentified man who hijacked a Boeing 727 flying from Portland to Seattle the afternoon of November 24, 1971. The man boarded with a ticket in the name of Dan Cooper, which was later mis uh, misreported by a wire service as D.B. Cooper. Soon after takeoff, the man told an air steward he was carrying a bomb and showed her what looked like a bomb inside his briefcase. The hijacker then ordered the pilots on the plane to land at... Sorry about the screaming. My kids um, don't know what it is to be quiet at all. But anyway, uh, the pilots on the plane to land at Seattle Tacoma Airport where he collected a ransom of 200000 and a parachute before ordering the plane to take off again at an altitude of around $10,000. I mean, I was <laughs> at an altitude of around 10,000 feet. Now in 1971, I know 200,000 doesn't seem like a lot. They give me 200, all that trouble for 200,000, but it's a little bit more now. Um, somewhere in the, um, somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, the hijacker parachuted from the rear steps of the aircraft with the ransom money. It was never seen again. In spite of an extensive manhunt by the FBI, the hijacker has never been located or identified, and the bureau's investigators think he probably did not survive his jump from the aircraft. But theories and speculations about the true identity and present 
whereabouts of D.B. Cooper abound. In 2016, the producers of a documentary in the History Channel claimed to have identified the hijacker as a 17-year-old former military veteran now living in Florida. Why are they always living in Florida? Why are they always living in Florida, man? You ima- you imagine if he is living? Was living? I I gotta research that. It was D.B. Cooper? There's no real mystery there. I mean, he, he didn't die. Um, he could have not survived that jump, but then his money would have been flying everywhere. They would have found money. You know, I don't think that suitcase or whatever it was would have survived the the, the crash. Um, or maybe he did survive the jump. You know what I mean? With this one. This one doesn't really intrigue me. He, I mean, because he's still alive. It's not like he, he didn't make it to the like. If he would have jumped and not made it to the ground, and they would have been like, "Yo, he just disappeared in the air," I would have been like, "Yo, I would have still been, I would have still been researching like that." That would have been my life's research. <laughs> but he made it to the ground, whether he died on the ground or not. It's like okay, well, if he made it, then he made it off. He made off with two hundred thousand dollars from that time, which is a lot of money. You know, he didn't. He really didn't kill anybody. He just stole money, which you know you shouldn't steal. But he really didn't kill anybody, so you know, it's not, it's not, it's not the end of the world here. You know what I mean? The the, the disappearance. Let's do the disappearance of Flight 19, man. That one is um the disappearance of. Oh, where did I go? I went to my Facebook. Sorry, the disappearance of Flight 19. Now this one. You can uh you can go everywhere and see this. There's just so many theories about this, and but you know, flight 19 is actually pretty scary. Um, this disappearance just because. But flight 19 refers to a group of U.S. Navy gro- uh groomen TBF Avenger warplanes that disappeared during a daytime training flight off the coast of Florida in December 1945. The strange event or one of the one of the incidents that gave rise to the legend of the Bermuda Triangle. And I think we all know about that, but all fourteen airmen aboard the five Rangers were lost, as well as thirteen crew members on the on a Navy flying boat that was sent up to search for them. Jesus. I've I forgot about that. No record or bodies from either the Avengers or the flying boat were ever found. The disappearance of Flight nineteen helped fuel the idea of the Bermuda Triangle between Florida, Puerto Rico and Bermuda where there were supposedly a high number of aircraft and ship disappearances, although the U.S. Coast Guard reports that the number is nothing out of the ordinary. Is nothing out of the ordinary. Hell, it, I mean, you got five, six, and a couple of other... That's that's Just these five is, is out of the ordinary to me. I don't know. Nonetheless, Flight 19 has become the staple of the Bermuda Triangle mythology and is often linked to stories of the supernatural or UFOs. For instance, in the opening scenes of Steven Spielberg's 1977 science fiction film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the aircraft of Flight 19 are discovered in a desert in Mexico, and the Flight 19 airmen return to Earth in the alien mothership in the final scene of the film. That is crazy. That's right. In Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that does happen all right the wallace case let's look at the wallace case wait let's go back to the flight 19 thing um i think i did a whole episode on this i don't remember if it was on this podcast once i had because i've been podcasting for years so i don't know if it was this one i spoke about it um don't i i don't think it was flight 19 just because they um when you take away the mystery of it when you take away 
the and that's the job of certain departments in the in the uh, government is to take away that mystery so you know don't do any more investigations and you get away from what possibly could be the truth it doesn't always have to be aliens or things like that it could be just something grimy somebody did but their job is to debunk their job uh just i think it was project blue book was supposed to do that they have a show about that but you know they take away from anybody research there's still conspiracy theorists that research it or people that research it and they call them crazy like we said but anyway next one the wallace case the murder in 1931 of a housewife julia wallace in her home in liverpool in the united kingdom has fascinated crime researchers and writers for decades wallace's husband an insurance salesman named william had received a message that asked him to visit and dress in men love gardens east on january 1931 anything that happened around that time was bad assuming it was a sales lead william tried to attend the appointment again i'm joking but he found that such a street did not exist he claimed that when he returned home he found that his wife had been brutally murdered in the living room i remember this case too william Wallace had convicted oh i'm sorry was convicted of his wife's murder but the conviction was overturned on appeal so wallace avoided the sentence of death by hanging historical research uh, researchers since speculated that the murder was committed by one of Wallace's co-workers who had been fired after Wallace accused him of embezzling money. That is possibility. But in 2013, the British crime writer P.D. James, who researched the case for her own book, wrote on the Sunday Times that she believes Wallace did, in fact, kill his wife. She added that she thought the prank call out, of, out to Men Love Gardens East at the same night was just a coincidence. So it was a prank call that he used he used that call to say well this is they called me over that's why i went and whatever it could be it could be that he just fell into into some well as far as that he was lucky with that but i don't know what you know when it comes to these usually it is the husband (laughs) usually it's not it's not like uh you know, we watch a lot of crime shows, and I, and I talk about a lot of crime here, and we usually think there's something more to it, but a lot of times it's the husband or the wife. It's usually the whoever the significant other is. Um, usually, a lot. Of, you know, there's been other cases where it's other people, whatever, but usually when in a case like this, um, it's usually the husband. Now, I could see it being the coworker who got fired for embezzling money because i'm probably I'm sure he didn't embezzle a hundred bucks well back in 31 100 bucks was a lot but i'm sure he didn't embezzle you know just like five dollars it was a lot of money and you know this guy probably lost everything and he was pissed off he said well i'm gonna kill this guy he just happened to find his wife but i did not solve the case the tame and shoot case tame and shoot Australia most Australia's most mysterious death is known as the Taman Shoot case from the Persian words printed on a scrap of paper in the pocket of a man found dead on the beach. Yes, I re- found dead on the beach on the south side of the city in Adelaide in December 1948. No identification was found on the body, just a rail ticket, a comb, some cigarettes and a piece of paper with Taman Shoot printed on it, which means the end. In Persian, the paper had been torn from a rare edition of poetry book, the Rabbite of Omar Khayyam and Taman Shud, 
uh, and Tammy Shoot are the last two words from the book. The mystery deepened when a pathologist who carried out an autopsy suspected the man had been poisoned. The police also found a copy of the poetry book with the words Tammy Shoot torn out and the other pages filled with what happened to be coded handwritten letters. The book also contained a phone number which led the police to an Austrian woman, Australian woman, sorry. She claimed not to have known, not to know the dead man, and she said that she had once owned the book but lent it to someone else. In 2009, Derek Abbott, a professor in the School of Electrical and Electronic Engineering at the University of Adelaide, proposed that the coded letter in the books were traces of manual encryption or decryption of a message using a one-time pad, an espionage technique that can be based on a, on text from a book, in this case probably the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Uh, the finding may give weight to the idea that the death of the of the of the Tame Shoot case was linked to a foreign spy ring operating in Australia, but the identity of the dead man remains unknown. So that one I have nothing for. That one could just be what exactly what it is. It's just still a mystery. This guy could have been a spy. And, you know, when you live that life, it's like, okay, you're a spy. We don't trust you anymore. Boom, you're dead. Don't think you're going to retire from this. There is no 401k for spying. So, uh, this one's pretty, pretty, pretty scary. If you've ever seen um, The Devil's Pass, The Devil's Pass is one of those found footage films. Probably one of my favorites of found footage films. Some people don't. A lot of people don't like found footage films. Found footage is a genre that has a very small following, and I'm one of the followers of it. But this called the Devil's Pass, and that was it was pretty scary. That was pretty scary because it mixed two incidences in that movie, made it look like a real thing. You 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 should check it out if you can. The Devil's Pass. It mixed the Dietov Pass incident with um with the uh with the Philadelphia experiment. It mixed them both, and it, it when the the way they did it, it made a lot of sense. Um, you know, it made sense for the movie. It was like, wow, imagine if that was the case. I don't know. So, if if you don't know what this is, in February nineteen fifty nine, that's a little after when I think everything was going to crap. Searchers in the northern Ural Mountains in Russia found the abandoned campsite of a ski trekking party of nine people who had been missing for several weeks. The tent had been torn in half, apparently from the inside, and filled with shoes and other belongings, while several sets of footprints and socks or barefoot led away into the snow. The bodies of all nine hikers were eventually recovered in May of that year after the snow thawed. Most had died from hypothermia, but two had two had fractured skulls, two had broken ribs, and one was missing her tongue. See, that this is the part that makes it weird, is... If they would, if they would have just been dead with gunshots or whatever, then it's like okay, somebody came and shot them. If they would have been hacked, somebody came and hacked them. If they would have had, if if those missing parts would have been done in a different way, like an animal eating them, an animal ate them. End of story, right? But that's not the way it was. It says here, most uh, die from hypothermia. Okay, obviously. But two had fractured skulls, um, and two had broken ribs, and one was missing her tongue. Now, I don't know where I mean, it could be that they fell. It could be that 
on the fall, she fell, and, you know, as she was screaming, she bit her tongue off. You know, it could be, I mean, unless it was surgically removed, I didn't see that. The case has become known as the Diatol Pass incident after this name of the group leader, Igor Diatol. The party was mostly made up of the students or graduates from the University of Yekaterinburg in Russia's Zvidlovsk region. Let's not even try to... SVO, anyway, although the official Soviet investigation found the case, the cause of death was a compelling natural force, probably an avalanche. There is still no clear explanation of the events that occurred at Dietov Pass. Some theories speculate that the party was attacked by wild animals, or that a mass panic caused by low-frequency sounds dispersed the group. There are even highly speculative links that allege reports that UFOs have been seen in the area near that time. So, that was the last one, guys. But as far as Diatol Pass, um, like they said, it could be an avalanche that caused it. It could be, like I said, the fractured, you know, skulls and stuff. It could be that they, they fell. They broke their, you know, um, I don't know how they would get fractured skulls. But maybe they fell on a rock or something. Both of them, two fractured skulls, two had broken ribs fell, you know, rock, there's rocks around there, they fell if there was an avalanche, uh, and one was missing her tongue, she could have bit her tongue off, the tongue could have been taken by an animal, could have fallen somewhere, whatever, you know, um, anything, but uh, I think when it comes to UFO theories, man, and, and I'm a big person, I, you know, I believe in, I believe in a lot of things, and I don't like to just dismiss anything, because you can't do that. You just can't dismiss things. You know what I mean? You, you got to give some. You you have to you have to live outside the box, man. Look at everything. Kind of, you know, kind of. You don't have to go deep into everything, believe. But you got to give a little. Give a little. You know, take everything with a grain of salt. Do a little bit of investigation. If that's what you're into. If you don't want to, then don't investigate anything. Just believe what you believe. And that's it. Stick to your story. Stick to what they teach you. And live your life simple. You know, I just can't do it. I'm always thinking of something. When it comes to UFO things, I think a lot of times also we we don't like, people like me are not content. And I, I think conspiracy theories, then people believe, they all say the box, are not content with just what is right there in front of us. We think there's always more. There is more. We can't, we're not, we don't accept the fact that it's just this. That's it. You told me this is what this is. This is what this is. This is what this is. This is what you do. Not content with that. So we always look for more. Um, when it, you know it's not like okay, as far as life, like this is is this all to life? We were just like boom, there you are. We just created you because we wanted to. There you are. You know, we always looking for a UFO. It's like some part of us is looking for a UFO. For is looking for another life form. You know, is looking for something more to explain life. You know what I mean? Um, deep down, rooted, of course. Nobody's ever going to say it like that. But some people are going to be like, no, nah, we just know there's UFOs out there. No. It's like a deep, it's a deeper thing. You know what I mean? But anyway, man. Ooh, I just, I just spiked, man. Let me lower this right here. Sorry about that. I just spiked. But anyway, that's all I got for you this week, man. Or today. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're watching it or if you're listening to it on um, 
whatever platform you use for um, your podcast, then subscribe, follow, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're listening to and on. And again, you can leave your message on Anchor if you have anything to add to these stories or anything you want me to talk about research. And as always, I will see you on the next smoke. Thank you.